I don't know if your heart's been stirred today. But I've been reminded of my own unworthiness. You might think, well, that's not a very good place to be when you're in church, not feeling like you're very good. Sometimes it's really good to think like you're unworthy. Like all the time. Because I could never be a good enough father. And I could never be a good enough husband. And I could never in a million years be a good enough pastor or preacher or, or Christian or, or citizen. I, I couldn't. I know myself. I look in the mirror and see it every day. I know myself. I could not stand before Jesus on the day of my death and give him a list of good things that outweigh my bad things. I can't do it. I think too many bad thoughts. I say too many, too many impatient, irritable things. I, I make too many impulsive purchases. I drop the ball too much. But I've been reminded today that my proof that I'm His, the only plea I have is the blood of Jesus Christ. And it covers every one of my deficiencies. And it makes up for every one of my weaknesses and every one of my failures and every one of my sins. So this music service would have fulfilled two purposes, one for each kind of person that's in here. There's somebody in here that's pious. And you think you deserve to be here. And you think you deserve to, to, to be in Jesus' care. And you think you're entitled to all these things that a Christian gets. No, 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 no. It's not through you. It's through Jesus. And then there's another group in here, and you're defeated. You're not pious. You're discouraged. And you're low. And you're thinking, that's a good testimony because he's got to live such a better life than me. So surely the blood of Christ can cover his sins. But that old preacher that's dressed kind of nice today has no idea what my sins are. He's speaking way over my head because he doesn't know my life. He doesn't know my marriage. He doesn't know my finances. He doesn't know my situation. He doesn't know the home I was raised in. Here's a good thing. Jesus does. And his blood covers the multitude of sins. And the Bible says he shed his blood so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever means you. That's sermon number one today. But we needed that. We need to be brought low, and some of you need to be brought up a little bit. And the song service has such truth in it, it can impact you in that way. If you agree with that, say amen together. Amen, amen and amen. Don't the Christmas decorations look good? I think they look great. Thank you for those who helped Brother Sid put that up um, this last week. Appreciate all of that. The entryway there looks phenomenal. The foyer looks good. And kind of puts us in the Christmas spirit a little bit. Now, don't, don't look forward to singing Christmas songs till we absolutely have to, okay? You can play it at your home and sit in front of your fireplace and all of that. But at church, we're going to do normal till we absolutely have to sing Joy to the World, okay? But we will eventually. I'm not a Scrooge. I love Jesus. I love that he was born. But we're going to wait to celebrate it till close to his birthday. I don't celebrate my, my son's birthday four weeks in advance, okay? And I love him. All right, so I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold off a little bit. We'll give Jesus a couple weeks, but um, we don't even know if he's born on December 25th. Anyway, I know that's a revelation for some. 
Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter number 2 as we continue our series, Partners in the Gospel, and rejoice for the fourth straight year that the Oklahoma Sooners are the Big 12 champs. Praise His holy name. His blood flows crimson red, and that's not Alabama red. Praise the Lord. I hope you're not booing me like that throughout the sermon. Before we read, I, I want to say something that the work of the gospel is, and the preaching of the word of God is so important to us here. Um, not because of me, but because the word of God is just so holy. And the Bible says that it's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. And so I just want to remind you that, that we ought to do as much as we can to not distract that purpose. Whether that's on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night. And uh, that's why we kind of separated a back row for those that may have run late so we can do that without distraction. And, and uh, that's why we turn off our phones when we come to church or put them on silent. And that's why we try not to walk out two or three times during the sermon. And, amen. Uh, amen. And uh, that's why you can sleep, by the way. You just can't snore. Feel free to take a nap. Just don't snore, please. And it truly is why we have some incredible nursery workers, children's ministry workers, and you can drop your kids off there. If they get restless, you're not comfortable doing that. We have speakers and monitors out in the foyer where you can keep up with the service there. And we've done everything we can to make sure that the gospel gets out free of distraction, and I know you can help us with that as well. Philippians chapter 2, and let's just read four verses this morning. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I want to preach to you on this subject, living in harmony with other believers. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading and preaching of your word. Change our minds if they need to be changed. Encourage us if we need to be encouraged. Convict us if we need to be convicted and openly make a difference that no man can take credit for. In your most precious name I pray, amen. At Harmony Baptist Church, the pastor called the deacons meeting. We need to lay new carpet in the auditorium and I want your input. The men began to discuss the ins and outs of carpeting, the color, should it be the traditional red or maybe a change to a nice blue? Should it be a cut pile or a loop? One even wanted a shag. How much should we spend? One deacon had a brother-in-law that knew a guy that could get carpet at a huge discount. Others wanted to shop around for different prices. One thought that they should get the most expensive because it would last longer. And one thought that they should get the cheapest because, well, he was simply cheap. One liked the old carpet. It had been on the floor for 24 years, and there's no need to change. We could take that money and do something else with it, like replace the baptistry heater. One didn't like carpet at all and was adamant about tiling the floor because of his allergies. In the end, they came to an agreement, and the wheels were set in motion to purchase new carpeting for Harmony Baptist Church. The deacons went home and faced their wives. What was your meeting about? All the wives asked their husbands except the cheap one who is still single. 
Oh, just carpet, the men replied. The wives probed further. What about carpet? Oh, the men said, we're going to buy new carpet for the auditorium. Really, all the wives said in unison as they all looked at their husbands with their eyebrows raised. What kind of carpet? What do you mean? What, what are you going to do with it? Like, like who's going to put it in? And the husband said, carpet is carpet. Well, what color is it going to be? How much is it going to be? They said a little bit frustrated. Well, those are decisions for the pastor and the deacons, all the men said with an air of finality. Phones began to ring at the homes of the deacons as all the deacons' wives discussed carpeting. When they had fully discussed the issue, they called other wives in the church, and soon all the church ladies knew all about the deacons' meeting and the new carpet. Not only did they know, but it was evident that certain battle lines had been drawn. There were the traditionalists who wanted to maintain red carpet. There were the progressive types who thought a change would be nice, perhaps blue shag. There were the penny pinchers whose only concern was the price. There was the frugal who wanted to be certain that the new carpet lasts another 24 years. And there were those who thought the old carpet was fine, thank you, and the stains were barely noticeable. One wanted no carpet at all because her husband has severe allergies, you know, and all kinds of microscopic monsters live in carpet. She knew that because she read it on Facebook. In the end, Harmony Baptist Church didn't even buy a new carpet. Nor did it buy a new baptistry heater because no one ever got baptized. Nor did it buy new Sunday school material because new people never came. Nor did it buy new cribs for the nursery because young couples didn't stay. Nor did it buy a new piano or a new bus or a new sound system or anything else. Because there was no harmony at Harmony Baptist Church. Sadly, that fictional story is all so true in churches all across the country. They're going through the motions of having church, but they lost their gospel influence years ago because they can't get along. And their differences aren't about theological or doctrinal issues. It's more about things like personal preferences and personal feelings and personal opinions. As I thought about Fellowship Baptist Church, which has been in existence for over 50 years, we've had some times of squabbles here and there. In fact, before I was ever born, my dad discussed some of the history, some of the bickering that took place in this place. I'm sad to hear that, but he also said, son, since you've been born, we've never had a church split. Since you've been born 34 years ago, we haven't lost our gospel influence because no one could get along because everybody was fighting over the color of carpet. Now, I've seen the color of carpet we've chosen in the past in Fellowship Baptist. There should have been more fighting. <laughs> and so it brought a question to mind. How has Fellowship Baptist Church, for at least over 30 years, maintained unity and lived in harmony? How has that happened? That is not an accident. Baptist churches don't get along for over 30 years on accident. And the answer to that question is of utmost importance. Because what's enabled Fellowship Baptist Church to live in harmony for over 30 years it's what is what's going to enable Fellowship Baptist Church to live in harmony for the next 30 years. And harmony in the church is of utmost importance to God. Thankfully, Paul gives us the answer to that question in our text. 
apparently he saw or heard about some conflict in this church of Philippi that he helped to start and he loved so dearly. The problem was strife and vainglory. Probably fostered because of where they lived. If you were here last week, you know they lived in a town 800 miles from Rome called Philippi, but yet it was a colony of Rome. Because 90 years before Philippians was, was written by Paul, they had backed Caesar in a civil war, and Caesar rewarded them by making them a colony, which meant they were able to experience full benefits, full Roman benefits and Roman citizenship and observe Roman customs, and that fostered a sense of pride in the people of Philippi. Our little town is a colony of Rome. That must have crept into the congregation of this Philippi Baptist church. Because a sense of pride often fosters a sense of entitlement and independence. And perhaps the members of that congregation were thinking to themselves, I want things done my way. And when Paul saw that they were trending in that direction, he wrote them a letter and he said in verse 2, Fulfill ye my joy. What's he saying? He's saying, you've made me so happy up to this point, Church of Philippi, because you've partnered with me in the gospel. You've prayed for me. You've sacrificed for me. You've given to me. You've opened your home for the work of the gospel. You're faithful in the work of the gospel. You even suffered in defense of the gospel. I'm so proud of you, and you have brought joy to my heart. But if you really want to top my cup of joy up, and you want it to overflow, let me hear that you're getting along. Let me hear, you want to make this pastor happy, then let me hear that you're living in harmony. He put it like this, that you be like-minded. What did he mean when he said like-minded? Does he mean we have to have the same personality? Does he mean we all have to have the same exact opinion on everything in life? Does he mean that we have to agree 100% of the time in everything? Well, he describes it here. He says, here's what like-minded looks like. You have the same love, you are of one accord, and you're of one mind. In other words, there's this threefold harmonious chord that makes up like-mindedness. Now listen here, if you know music, you know that, that it takes three separate notes working together to create a harmonious chord. I want to illustrate that to you. I've asked some girls to come help me who... Who can kind of sing a little bit? I, I, I kind of scrapped the bottom of the barrel with this one, but I've asked a couple who, who have some genetic advantages. They were all grants growing up, and now their names have changed. But I want to illustrate, go ahead and just grab any mic and let me know which one it is. I want them to illustrate what a threefold harmonious chord sounds like. Beth, which mic do you have? Seven. Heather has eight. Which one do you have, Sandy? Okay, she's going to grab six because she just wants to be harmonious. <laughs> Sandy, go on the other side of Heather, would you? And their mother is going to be playing the piano helping with this illustration. When Paul says, here's the first note in the chord of harmony, it's the same love. He says, I want you to love each other with the same love that God loved you with. What kind of love is that if you know your Bible? It's an agape love. <coughs> An agape love means an unconditional love. It's how a mother loves her child. That's the closest comparison you can find to God's love for you. It's love that isn't determined upon one's behavior. It's an amazing, deep, deep, deep kind of love. And the first note of this harmonious chord sounds beautiful. Play it, would you? Sing it, Beth. Very good. 
Now, I like solos, but I really like harmony. And Paul added a second note, and he said it's one accord. What is one accord? You study the word accord, and it literally means one soul. It's a deep brotherhood, a deep sisterhood, a deep, deep unity, meaning when you work for the cause of the gospel and the cause of Christ, you are going in the same direction. You're working together as one body, just like you have different hands and feet and ears and eyes, but they all work to help our bodies function properly every day. The church has hands and feet and eyes and ears who are all different, but when you're in one accord, you're working together. And that note sounds like this. Sing it, Heather. Those two notes sound like this. Sing it. I love good duets, but if you want a full harmonious chord, you've got to have a third part. And the third note sounds like this, one mind. When Paul is saying this, he's saying, I want you to think the same. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have the same opinions. It doesn't mean you have to have the same personality. None of that. But you approach matters with the same mindset. Meaning, when, when you're trying to make decisions for the church, you're trying to go forward, you're trying to serve in children's church, you're trying to organize some things, you might have this opinion, he might have this opinion, but if you're of one mind, it means at the end of the day, you're willing to set those things aside because you have one mindset, that's the gospel. And you're working with one mind. And so he says, I want you to think the same, and that note sounds like this. Sing it, soprano. Very good, very good. Is there an angel in here? <laughs> Those notes together sound amazing. Take a deep breath, Beth. The first note is I want you to love the same. The second note is I want you to work the same. And the third note is I want you to think the same. Now sing it together. Good, I'm so glad you didn't forget the words. Amazing. You can be seated. Give them a hand. My point in doing that is to tell you what Paul's trying to get across. He's saying that's what harmony in the Philippi Baptist Church sounds like. It's beautiful. Now, I could have came in as a bass singer and really messed up the harmony, like some people come to a church and mess up the harmony. You have to have three different notes. They're not the same notes. They don't think the same. They don't feel the same. They don't act the same. But they work in harmony. And Paul's saying that's what it sounds like when a New Testament church is living in harmony harmony it's beautiful so maybe you have an objection at this point because in your mind you're thinking that's impossible I and mean, we're not like a church of 12 people anymore we have a lot of different viewpoints and a lot of different personalities and a lot of different preferences represented just in this crowd this morning that's impossible and it kind of is if you think about it i mean think about the church of philippi that paul was writing to when they heard this letter read out loud to their congregation, I'm thinking one person may have stood up and ejected and said, I think Paul forgot who makes up this body, believers. Because over in that section, there's Lydia. You remember her. She was by the river. She was the first woman reached with the gospel. She's the rich lady. She owns her own import business. Her house is so big, she opened it up for the start of the church of Philippi. She's the most prominent charter member in this place. And she's a nice lady, and she's done a lot for the Philippi Baptist Church. But I think Paul doesn't remember too well the kind of personality she has. Oh, it's a big one. She's nice, but too nice. If you want her opinion, you don't even have to ask. Five minutes with Lydia is about all I can do, Pastor. I can't live in harmony with her. I can go to church with her. Just can't live in harmony. And I don't know if Paul remembered, but over in this section, there's the slave girl. 
She was the second one that Paul led to Christ. She was the one who was demon-possessed, and she was sold by her oppressive owners to tell the fortunes of people, and they earned a profit from her. And Paul, I don't know if you really understand. I know she's saved. I know she's not a slave girl anymore. I shouldn't even call her that. And I, I can go to church with her, but she's still socially awkward. She weirds me out. And I don't know if you know Paul, but that old jailer, yeah, the one that beat you, the one that locked you up in the stocks. Oh, I know he got saved that night. I know his whole family got saved and baptized. I know they're here. I even know he's the head of the security team now. But honestly, I can't get over what he used to be. He wants to beat our founding pastor, and now he wants to worship with our founding pastor. And you want me to live in harmony with him? You can't even get close to the guy. And maybe you have your objections because whenever you heard the title of this message, Live in Harmony, you instantly thought of that person. Like Sister So-and-so that you saw at the restaurant on Saturday night, but she wasn't in the restaurant part of the restaurant. She was in the bar part of the restaurant. And of course, you're in the restaurant part of the restaurant just eating a steak and minding your own business, being a little bit nosy, but you look over there and saw her a little bit tipsy. And then you come to church on Sunday, look across the auditorium, and she's over there worshiping God like everything's okay. And Pastor Tyler, you're telling me you want me to live in harmony with that kind of hypocrisy? Can't do it. And you don't know about brother so-and-so. I follow him on Facebook, and I know where he stands on politics, and we are on two different playing levels. You talk about inhumane. I mean, I'll go to church, but don't ex I can't even shake his hand or sit by him or look at him, let alone live in harmony with him. Oh, and I don't know how to say this, Pastor Tyler, but, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just say it. There's some people in our church that they don't pay their bills. Well, how do you know? Well, I've looked on them, their public records, you know, that tell us everybody's business. And their name's on there, and they just don't make our church look very good. I'll go to church, but they're up there clapping and singing and teaching and carrying on like nothing. No, I can't do it. I, it, it infuriates me. Okay, I, I can deal with a lot of stuff, but I go to church with that person that hurt my kids. They said this about my kids. I can deal with a lot of things, but don't mess with my kids. I know why they said it. I know how they said it, and I know how they still feel about it. And I'll go to church with them because I love my church. But don't expect me to shake their hand until they make things right. Are we kind of where we're living this morning? I'm glad that Paul anticipated those objections. I really am. Because I have some objections of my own when I hear the imperative live in harmony with other believers. And that's why he wrote verse 1. He is going to tell the Philippian believers, and he's going to tell us, no, no, it's actually impossible to do that in and of yourself, but because of what God has done in you, those things can come out of you to others, even people that you don't like. Now look at verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation, that word means encouragement in Christ. If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels or affection or sympathy and mercies. Paul is helping them recall what happened when they were first changed by the gospel. These are the things that God put in you at the moment of salvation. 
And he put all of them in you. Do you notice he uses the word if four times? That's a term of assumption, by the way. Paul isn't questioning, have you been encouraged by Christ? Have you been comforted by love? No, he's assuming they have. He knows they have. It would be like me on July 14th telling my family, if it's my birthday, and it is, I get to pick where we go out to eat. That's a term of assumption. I could very easily replace the word if with since. Since it's my birthday, I get to pick where we go out to eat. And Paul's telling the church of Philippi, no, I know you think it's impossible to live in harmony with other believers, but since you've been encouraged by Christ, you can encourage others. Since you've been comforted by the love of Christ, you can comfort others with the love of Christ. Since you know the fellowship and the partnership of the Spirit in your life, it's not just you, you have the help and comfort of the Spirit, then you can, through the Spirit's power, do the same thing for others. Since you know the sympathy of Christ in your life and the mercies of Christ in your life, you can show that same sympathy and mercy to other believers. Is this making sense? Paul's saying, I, God has put some things in you, and those things can come out of you. No, I know you feel it's impossible, but because God has done it in you, supernaturally it can come out of you. That means mercy can come out of you towards that person that's hurt your kids. Because God has shown mercy when you hurt him. That means symphony. uh, What's the word? I'm thinking a symphony like a violin. Thank you. Yeah, exactly what they're saying. That, the bowels, bowels. I'll just say it like King James does. Bowels. That doesn't sound good. The bowels can come out of you. Not good. Let's skip to mercy. Mercy can come out of you. Love can come out of you towards that person that, that, that is, sees life and politics and worldviews so much differently than you. Because Christ has shown love to you when you saw life differently than he did. It is possible. But how many know that just because it's possible, just because you know you should, and just because you know you can, doesn't mean you will. You see, something deeper has to happen. We're about to move into that. Something deeper has to happen in this congregation, in our hearts and in our lives, in order for us to show that kind of harmony among people that are so different than us. It's actually the same thing that has took place in this church for the last 30 years. And it's the same thing that will have to take place if we want to live in harmony for the next 30 years. Here's the answer. There's harmony in the church when there's humility in the church. The people. That's the answer. There's so many different personalities represented in here. So many different backgrounds represented in here. Different races represented in here. Different political viewpoints represented in here. But listen, we can all show humility. That is the only possible way for people who are so different to live in harmony and Paul says when there's that kind of humility watch there's an absence of two things look at verse number three let nothing be done through watch strife or vainglory in Paul's language that word strife means selfish ambition and that word vainglory it it literally means vain conceit or an elevated view of oneself I like what one author said he said selfish ambition is what I want And vain conceit is the reason I want it. 
So you could say it like this. I want to be prominent and sing the solo. Selfish ambition. Why? Well, because I deserve it more than you. Vain conceit. I want others to listen and to yield what I say. Selfish ambition. Why? Because my opinion matters more than yours. Vain conceit. And Paul says humility is just the opposite. Humility is when you show lowliness of mind. If you study this, this phrase in Paul's language was so derogatory. So derogatory that it was only used once in all of the New Testament. That's it. And it was this time. You know why? Because it spoke of the mindset of a slave. The slave was the lowest of the low. In other words, here's how a slave was forced to think. I have no rights. I have no opinion. I have no voice. No, I don't like it, and I'm glad we're not living in those days anymore. But this was derogatory. And Paul's saying, I want you to have that kind of loneliness. And when you do, here's what will happen. You will esteem others or regard others better than yourself. Meaning that, that you will put the interest of others before yours. You'll put the opinions of others, if it's necessary for harmony, before yours. You will serve others before you expect them to serve you. And when there's that kind of humility, when you are thinking not less of yourself, but of yourself less often, and others more, Paul says, you will have harmony. So I began to think, what does that kind of humility, lowliness of mind look like in Fellowship Baptist Church? And instead of coming up with my own answers, I did something I've never done before. And I text about a dozen of our church members, just randomly text them. And I said, how would you describe what this kind of humility looks like in Fellowship Baptist Church? And I got like, some great answers. One said, humility in the church, I'm just going to read them to you is when someone comes to our church who we've had a run-in with the past and have been burnt by in a business deal. Humility is not acting like it never happened, but it is doing what is necessary to get it behind us. That might mean agreeing to disagree, but at the end of the day, we put their spiritual growth ahead of our personal feelings. One said, humility in the church means as a leader in the children's ministry, I serve with and for those I lead, not over them. I make sure every worker knows they matter and are making a difference. If I'm a humble leader, I'm more concerned about what I can do for them instead of what they're doing for me. That's good. One church member wrote back, humility in the church means that I show deference. It means I put aside my personal opinion to maintain a good relationship with the fellow church member because unity in the church is more important than my opinion. One said, humility in the church, this is so, so well worded. Humility in the church means I don't need any credit for what I do, but I strive to give credit to others for what they do. That's humility. One said, humility in the church is when I disagree with the pastor. And instead of talking to everybody else about it, I visit with him directly about it. Then no matter his decision, I go on supporting my pastor because harmony in the church is more important than me getting my way. Wow. Humility, one said, is stepping in for someone to work nursery who will be gone when I just worked it last week and would rather be in my own Bible class. 
Humility, one said, is spending a few bucks and a couple hours of my time to make a dish for a funeral of someone I don't even know. Humility is realizing the person who just hurt my feelings has a lot on their plate and just letting the hurt go without retaliation or rebuke. Humility, one church member said, is when a fellow church member fixes my grandson's van and won't take a dime for it. And humility is when a church member sponsors a teenager to go to youth camp, even when they don't have any of their own kids going. And humility is serving faithfully in a ministry that gets little to no attention and having a good attitude while doing it. Are you following this? This is what humility looks like in Fellowship Baptist Church. And this will, what, it will be what enables Fellowship Baptist Church to continue to live in harmony. And it reminds me of a question that was asked of a conductor. A conductor of a symphony. That's the word I was thinking of earlier. And they asked him, what is the most important instrument in your symphony? And he responded, the second violin. The second violin, they were shocked. Why? Well, it's easy to find anybody to play a first violin, but to find someone to play a second violin, to do it with enthusiasm is very, very difficult. Why is it so important then? He said this, because without a second violin, there can be no harmony. Fellowship Baptist Church has and will continue to live in harmony only as its members are willing to sit in the second chair. God help us, God help us to live in humility so that our church can function in harmony, so that the work of the gospel will continue to go forth through this place, both here and literally around the world. If you agree with God's word today, say amen. Here's how you respond. You have no hope. Please, 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 please. You have no hope of living in harmony with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your church members, if you have never known the love of God yourself. And maybe during the song service you were convicted because you know in your heart, wow, he can go back to a place he was 20 years old when he got saved. Pastor Tyler can go back to a place he was seven years old and you know in your heart you'd probably have to make something up and it'd be very, 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 very vague. Please hear me. You cannot live any of this that I preach today. It's impossible until you've known the love of Christ. I want to invite you this moment into the love of Jesus. If you don't know you're saved, it's very simple. You have to first of all admit you're a sinner. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Most people don't have a problem admitting that. But then you, you have to believe that Jesus died for that sin. And listen, that it's enough. What he did was enough to save you. And you, you can't just believe it. You have to take action. You have to call upon God to save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You don't have to walk out of here lost. Please hear me. You can know that you're saved. It's very simple. 
I'm going to ask right now that every head be bowed and every eye be closed.